I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Omar Mansour, Managing Director, APAC for Codebase Technologies. Here's a statistic for you. Half of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation countries' populations over 15 do not have a bank account. Surely, Omar, this unbanked and indeed the underbanked population together are a huge drag on the potential economic growth of the OIC countries. Absolutely. Agreed. I mean, if you, if you basically look at how not only just underbanked or unbanked, if you basically look at any economic situation in any country where you have a certain service that is globally being provided and it's lacking in that country as well, you can obviously see that in this situation, the unbanked and underbanked population can have a significant impact in these countries as well. Obviously, lack of access to formal financial services can limit economic growth and development. And as it limits the ability of individuals and small businesses to save, invest and access credit, it can lead to a a result in limited entrepreneurship opportunities and decreased economic activity, hence hindering the overall economic growth of the country. Additionally, if you basically look at it, the unbanked and underbanked are often more vulnerable to financial exploitation and are more susceptible to economic shocks, I mean, such as job loss or illness. And by increasing financial inclusion and providing access to formal financial services, the economic impact of the unbanked and underbanked can be reduced, heavily leading to an increased economic growth and development. So yes, it does make that big of a significance in addition or subtraction of economic impact. All right, let's talk about a potential answer. It's being claimed that digitalization increases accessibility. But is that really true? Because if you're having to access a digitalized service, you need a technology interface, whether that technology interface is is a computer, a broadband access, or a mobile phone. If you think of it, illiteracy in general, the word literacy, it doesn't mean that you have the ability to read. You still need the ability to comprehend. You still need the ability to participate. So yes, digitization can increase accessibility to financial services. But it also requires access to the technology and an interface of such, you know, such as a smartphone or a computer to be able to use these services, you know, and obviously those that do not have access to this technology or lack the necessary digital skills may face barriers to accessing digital financial services. So it is obviously very important for uh, Islamic institutions and Islamic financial service organizations to take into consideration the potential digital divide and implement strategies to increase the accessibility for all segments of the population. And this does, is this includes your low-income and rural communities as well. This also includes providing digital literacy training and partnerships with tech companies to increase technology access and offer alternative channels to those without digital devices. You cannot have one without the other. I'm just going to press you on one of those points before moving on to the other one. You talked a lot about literacy Is Mm -hmm. this something that financial institutions have got to go out and do and beat the drum for financial literacy and education, financial education? Of course, just like any other skill, not just financial literacy, any any other skill that requires some degree of literacy, if you look at it, you do need to understand what you're working with. I cannot use to my advantage the financial services a bank basically provides if I don't know what it is. I cannot use a savings account or the benefit of a savings account if I don't know how it works or what the purpose of it is. I cannot use my digital application to divest my investments 
you know what I mean? Or, 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 or take out uh, micro loans if I don't know what they are, if I don't know how they work. And this is the best example. I did not have a credit card for 35 years of my life. I only just got one six months ago because somebody told me that, hey, you need to have a credit profile. And I said, I don't like the concept of credit or financing. It's just a, it's just a me thing. I, my father never took it out. I didn't. I don't want to take it out. I'm not. I'm not a big thing into it. You know what I mean? But now, as I'm seeing that the the financial landscape is evolving, etc. and so forth. Even if you don't use your credit card, you still need to have it on file so that people know that you have the ability to borrow money, but at the same time, you are responsible with it as well. So it's more of like a, you don't need to use it, but as long as you can prove your responsibility. Now, you see, this is financial literacy for me. So I understood that I don't need a credit card so just because I can do stuff with it, but I do need a credit card so I can have a profile on a credit bureau. So I can basically, if tomorrow I want to get a mortgage financing, et cetera, and so forth, I have something on file. So you see, I learned how that sort of contributes to my financial well-being and et cetera, and so forth. So yeah, so that that was financial literacy for me as well. And if I didn't know how a credit card worked properly, you know what I mean? I mean, I understood the concept of it, but in terms of getting one and then using it and you know, and making sure you make your payments on time, et cetera, and so forth, all of this stuff, it made me realize how many other people out there who don't understand a lot of these concepts, you know? Let's talk a little bit about some of the concepts they might not understand. One of the issues in Islamic finance and Islamic banking is that it's not necessarily standardized. Do you think digitalization and the growth of Islamic fintech solutions will help in that, will help standardize the offerings, will help make it easier for people to understand what they're getting into? Absolutely. Look at the concept of Uber. Uber came off as a ride-hailing application. Uh, Ultimately, what had happened was it basically opened up the gates for a different type of gig economy, whereby I was like, look, I'm going home from XYZ place, um, I can pick up a passenger and make extra money. And just like that, it started uh, getting more and more uh, standardized by other organiz- other companies and other countries that started adopting the same measures, et cetera, and so forth. Now, people who have never used Uber, now for, for, for myself, I've been in APAC, so I've been mostly using Grab. I've been using Kareem in the GCC and Middle East, but I've never used Uber because I've never been to a country where I had to where Uber was the exclusive one, but I understood the concept. So when I went to Sydney a while back and they had Uber because they didn't have Grab or Kareem, and I was like, okay, so it wasn't like a shock or anything like that. It was standardized, right? You open the application, onboard yourself, and you avail said service, you know? The same thing can be said about Islamic banking as well or Islamic financial services as well. You create a certain product, you create something that makes it easy for your customers to be able to use it and other organizations can lead can um, either lead by example or adopt an example you know what i mean because ultimately at the end of the day it's not about a competition about who's better and who's not better it's what are you basically doing to clean up and standardize the landscape in general a lot of people and, and this is something i have not seen anyone basically address is that a lot of people basically talk about first movers or I'm better at this. I was here before you. This is but nobody ever talks about the actual end goal. What is the actual end goal for standardization? It's not that I'm going to be the first one and I'm going to set an example and all of you guys are going to follow it because it's going to be a unspoken mandate. No, that's not the point. The point is I'm going to do something that's going to make things easier. So you guys don't have to do all the hard work and we can all eat at the same table 
and we can all at the same time provide everybody with the same service. How else will you evolve? On that basis, let's turn to one of the issues that is confronting banks at the moment, and this is the trend towards cloud-based core banking. What's the benefit there for Islamic banks? Cloud-based banking in general or cloud-based core banking uh, yields the same benefit whether you're Islamic or conventional. So it, it doesn't matter if you look at it in terms of uh, cost, etc. and so forth. The same benefit applies to conventional as well. So it's not it's not limited or linked to just Islamic. And some of these benefits are like increased efficiency. You know, a cloud-based core banking system will allow you for real-time data processing, uh, improved operational efficiency. It reduces the time it takes for transactions to be completed as opposed to something that used to be traditionally done on-premise. Cost savings, as I had just mentioned, you know, these solutions can be more cost-effective compared to your traditional on-premise systems. And as the cost of infrastructure and maintenance is usually shared amongst multiple customers as well. So you don't have one giant chunk. You know what I mean? You have people contributing together as well. Scalability has always been a big thing. You know what I mean? Uh, Cloud-based solutions, I mean, can very easily be scaled up or down as needed, you know, depending on the demand, the growth or the amount of performance that is required. you know, And this allows Islamic banks specifically to be able to accommodate the growth or change in customer demand. Talking from a risk management perspective, cloud-based core banking systems also offer enhanced security features, such as your real-time monitoring. And these basically help these Islamic banks or institutions to manage their risks better, comply with regulations, et cetera, and so forth at a more Agile skill, and last but not least, and the most important one, actually, in my opinion, is your access to innovation. Because cloud-based solutions actually offer access to your late, the latest of technology, latest of innovations, and they basically allow these Islamic banks to stay ahead of the curve and, you know, constantly be able to meet the evolving needs of their customers, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis, as opposed to your traditional on-prem sort of uh, instances whereby you had to literally purchase a physical blade server and put that in just to be able to compensate that. But with this, it's more of like a, hey, it's all automatic. Well, let's talk a little bit about innovation then. Innovation on the side of the fintechs. What's the opportunity for Islamic fintech? It's amazing. You know what I mean? I was just I was just having a conversation with someone like a while back, specifically around the opportunity and what's actually there, not just for fintech, but like they had said, like, look, we know what the opportunity for fintech is. What is the opportunity for Islamic fintech? You know what I mean? And if I was to basically like sit down and ponder, I can tell you the five ones that I basically am aware of at the moment. And they range from your digital banking and financial services, you know obviously catering to the more specified and more tailored needs to the Islamic community as well. Crowdfunding platforms, you know, obviously the ones that comply with your Islamic finance principles, et cetera, and so forth. Now that you have a lot of digital innovations and digital concepts basically coming out, technology that's able to support and suffice these sort of concepts as well. Halal investments, you know, halal investments and wealth management products and platforms that basically work in more Sharia compliance when it comes to supporting customers who have a preference. They don't have to be Islamic or Muslim for that, but they have a preference for transparency, especially when they work with these uh, digital payment solutions, you know, based on Islamic finance principles, blockchain-based solutions for transparency and automation in the Islamic finance transactions, et cetera, and so forth. These are some of the key big opportunities that if basically put up on their own or blended well together, 
can create a force to be reckoned with as well. And now, as you see, Saudi Arabia is basically coming up, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, these uh, countries that have a very high Muslim population and at the same time have now started getting access to all these technologies that allow innovation. It's no longer, the, 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 the concept has sort of flipped. Back in the day, it used to be business that used to drive technology. Now it's the other way around where technology is driving business. So if, if, you, if you look at the paradigm shift in the past 10 years, that's what it has been. It's like, I have the technology so I can do XYZ business. Back in the day, it used to be like, this is my business and I need to find XYZ technology to do this. You mentioned, I think, some of the things that I'm going to ask you about now. Islamic principles, Sharia, these are obvious what are the other key pillars of growth for a digital Islamic bank? Working with a few Islamic institutions and a few Islamic banks, I think what I would basically boil it down to is six, six key pillars, in my personal opinion. One of them is Sharia compliance, obviously. You know, you have to adhere to the finance principles and the offerings, you know, uh, be able to offer or be primarily offering finance products that are Sharia compliant and their respective services. Obviously, technology, as I had mentioned, is the driving force as well. So you must be able to embrace cutting-edge technology, you know, and leverage uh, tools such as mobile and online banking, artificial intelligence, etc. and so forth, you know, uh, just uh, as an example, blockchain as well, you know, to enhance the customer experience and improve overall uh, operational efficiency, focus on customer centricity. A lot of people basically get lost with the technology or they basically say that they are going to be customer centric but they end up it just ends up flying over their head you know what i mean because they can only chew on a certain thing at a point in time but the idea is to basically put these pillars down use them as a goal and make sure that you touch base on all these so customer centricity obviously you know you have to focus on delivering an exceptional customer service you know and understanding their needs preferences behaviors another very important one that has not been said yet is partnerships and collaborations Build a strategic partnership with your tech providers, your network, your financial institutions and other stakeholders to not only just expand your reach and capabilities, but at the same time, be able to plan a roadmap that doesn't involve technology, but an overall vision roadmap. Just last two more. One is the other one's innovation and the other is just focus on risk management. But yeah, these are the key pillars, in my opinion. One of the things you mentioned there is something I think, apart from Sharia compliance, is possibly more important than any of the others because otherwise you don't have a business as a bank, and that is the customer experience. Mm -hmm. We have been on a journey both in Islamic banks and in conventional banks towards a realisation that the customer experience is paramount. Would you agree? 100%. This, 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 this should not even be a question. <laughs> it, should be, it, should be an, it should be a standard now. You know what I mean? It's because... You know, customer experience is like of such paramount importance for both institutions, you know, Islamic and conventional. A positive customer experience can drive customer loyalty. You know what I mean? Customer growth satisfaction leads to like, you know, increased customer acquisition and retention, obviously, with additionally being, you know, increased competition in the industry as well. And availability of technologies, customers expecting high quality, seamless, convenient services and, you know, they appreciate it when banks prioritize the customer experience and the ones that basically do are most likely to succeed in today's market. And we have seen that. Answer to the demands of your customer and you shall be king. You know, Monzo, Revolut, they built the bank. They said, look, I don't think any person that opens a bank account is going to care about supply chain financing. 
or invoice discounting. You know, he's like he's an individual. What he wants is just a place to put his money. He wants a little facility that's easy to use when he opens his application. And he wants to be able to buy his Bitcoin or invest in his stocks or share or whatever it is that he wants because he doesn't understand how to do that normally. And you're just giving them a facility that makes their life easier. Obviously, everyone's going to use it. But they're like, look, the less I have to think and I can benefit from it, the better, you know, I will trust in you. So, yes, customer experience is key. Omar Mansour, Managing Director APAC for Codebase Technologies. Thank you very much.